Our reading this morning is from John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand that from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the Word. Thank you, Vic. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, it was uh, a year ago that uh, we were not able to gather together on Easter Day to remember the risen Lord Jesus. And so it really is uh, something that we shouldn't take for granted, that today we can rejoice alongside one another to think back to that first Easter Day and to think back on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and to do it as a church family. So please uh, strengthen our hearts, encourage uh, us in all that we're remembering this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to uh, admit something. I've changed what I'm I'm preaching on this morning. So I was going to preach on the reading. The the normal business here at St. Stephen's is we hear a reading from the Scriptures or more, and uh, we think during the sermon part on what we've heard. God speaks to us through his word, and then we think about it. Uh, But... A couple of things have happened which have made this Easter a little odd. 
the reading, we've been doing John's gospel as our reader. We pick a different gospel each time. We were doing John. So we listened to part of John for Monday Thursday, part of John for Good Friday, and, and John this morning. We look at one of the sayings of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. And the saying we looked at, for those who were there, was, Behold this woman. Uh, and it's an odd saying of Jesus. And the main point in it was that although the cross, and this is true for the resurrection as well, although the cross is at one level, this gigantic cosmic event that's happening, it's, there's also a deeply personal element to it. There's a deep personal connection. And, the in, and John records, the other Gospels don't, this little incident between John and Mary. And again, the point of it's the same one that we looked at on Friday. So I was going to be preaching the same sermon twice, which I wasn't sure anyone wanted. So, because it's the same thing, why would John put, if you're trying to convince people that Jesus rose from the dead, why would you put this little incident with Mary? It doesn't convince people, really. You've got to put yourself back in the mind of people of John's original hearers back then to verify something. If you were going to prove something in a court of law, you needed to have two witnesses. This little interaction was only with Mary. And for some reason back then, it, you were more likely to be believed if you were male than female. Now, I can't believe that when it comes to a court of law because my experience is females are normally much better at remembering details. And if, you, if someone came for dinner last night at the Bean household and you asked me about them today, Jamie could tell you their height, their clothes that they were wearing, their haircut, their eye colour, the mannerisms they had. If I was on my best day, I might be able to tell you what gender they were, but I wouldn't be able to remember kind of anything... Else. I don't know why they had it like that, but it, but it was. The only reason John is, well, there's two reasons, would record this little incident with Mary is one, because it happened, and two, because it shows the wonderful personal truth of the resurrection. It's not just wonderful news for everyone, it's wonderful news for you, for you, for you. Jesus rose for you. It's this great moment. Did you notice that Mary didn't recognize Jesus until when? until he spoke her name. Not just spoke, spoke her name. He'd already spoken, she still didn't remember him, then he said, Mary. Boom, eyes open. Because the sheep know when the, the shepherd calls them by name. So I, I was going to be preaching the same talk, because it's the personal kind of thing. So instead, I'm going to think about the resurrection more generally. But that's a good thing to do on Easter Sunday, because the resurrection is what I call a game changer. It changes it. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything else. You know that saying that some people have that um, everyone else is playing checkers, but they're playing chess? And what they mean is they're playing a different game, they're, they're longer strategy, they know more of what's going on. The resurrection is a game changer in that kind of way. Every now and then something happens in the history of the world that's so important, so significant, it has an impact on everything else. The resurrection is one of those things. It's a game changer. The key thing that people have to wrestle with is, did it happen? And there are lots of people that don't think it did. Even, sadly, sometimes within the church and Christian circles, you hear Christians not really have confidence that Jesus rose. I remember being, this was a number of years ago, when I was a junior ordained member of another church's uh, clergy team, where one of the other ministers told me that when you're trying to tell people about, convince them of Christianity, Jay, you can speak about the cross but not the resurrection. Because people kind of understand there's something noble about what Jesus did and something sacrificial, but no one believes that dead people rose from the dead. Now, I can see what that person was saying, but I totally disagree with it. And the resurrection has often that kind of stigma attached to it. 
Uh, I've been looking at the newspapers over the last couple of days, but every Easter they not, the media will sometimes get hold of a minister or a church which is trying to say that the resurrection didn't really happen, that Jesus didn't really physically rise from the dead. Maybe he rose in a kind of spiritual sense, like a, like a ghost appearing to the disciples, but, he, but that he didn't rise from the dead physically. And the thinking behind this is you can't expect people to believe the resurrection is true because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense of our experience. It's unbelievable. I totally disagree with that. Is the resurrection hard to believe? In some ways, it is a miracle. It's not something that we see or experience every day. But I want to tell you this today. It's absolutely believable. It's absolutely plausible. And I want to explain why I would say that this morning. But first, put your mind, I want you to put yourself in the context of the believers, the disciples. They're the key people that I want to bring to your attention this morning. And I want you to think about where the evidence leads you when you think about what, what life must have been like for them. I'm totally prepared to accept that people don't normally rise from the dead, never to die again. It's not an ordinary thing, but Jesus was not an ordinary man. That's why the world still remembers him 2,000 years later. There's not a lot of people who've had that kind of impact on the world. So think about it from the perspective of the disciples. Let me set the scene for you. The disciples of Jesus had become convinced over three years. They'd spent three years with Jesus. They'd become convinced that this guy was the real deal. They thought that this was the guy. And when I say the guy, I mean someone very specific. They believed that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. Same word, but it's getting at the same picture. They believed that he was the Christ or Messiah. The Christ or Messiah had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. There had been prophets in the Old Testament who said one day the Christ will come, one day the Messiah will come, and he will be God's chosen king, and he will rescue God's people, and he will rule God's people forever. And so the Jews had been waiting for years for this Christ, this Messiah, to arrive. And every time a great person in, in Israelite history came along, they, well, is this the guy? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? And every time they found out that he wasn't. And then Jesus gets on the scene. And Jesus does incredible things, unbelievable things. He heals people. He brings people back from the dead. He did things that no one had ever seen before with their own eyes. Even his opponents, his enemies, who wanted to undermine who he was, couldn't deny that he'd done them because they'd seen them and everyone else had seen him do them. All they could do was try and find alternative explanations for how he'd done them. It was demonic power or those sorts of things. But he did incredible things. More than that, there was his teaching. People had never heard anyone like this guy speak before. And there's power. When people speak truth, you know. You can hear it. And no one had ever spoken like this before. He taught with a different kind of authority. He taught with a different kind of wisdom. And again, not even the people that wanted to undermine him and were against him could undermine his teaching. They would try and trip him up publicly. They'd try and confuse him in discussions and conversations. But they couldn't because this guy was on a different level. And so he was, he's being seen as this incredible figure, doing things no one else could do, speaking in a way which no one else could claim. And the ones who had the best view of all this, and I want you to think about this, were the disciples. 
for three years as Jesus went round ministering in Judea and doing these incredible things and teaching in these wonderful ways, they were with him 24-7. They witnessed everything he did and heard everything he said, and they were absolutely convinced that this is the guy. They were totally convinced this is him. Peter said it, you are the Christ. Even Judas, the one who will go on to betray him, ends his life in the end because he knew Jesus was the guy. That's not why he betrayed him. They were totally committed and they they believed that he was the one. Now, that's very interesting. When you think about other famous people today, there's a reason other famous people don't get treated like famous people by their family members, by the ones who spend all their time with them. Because uh, the rest of us see famous people doing what makes them famous. If you think of a sports person or a musician or an actor or something, we see them for 80 minutes on the rugby field doing the one thing in life they're great at. We see them for 180 minutes on the screen or on the stage doing the one thing they're incredibly gifted at. But their family spend the rest of their life with them. They see them when they're not doing the one thing they're brilliant at. They see their pettiness or their laziness. They see their immaturity or their foolishness. They see the way they treat people behind closed doors. Family members have grown up with them. They know their strengths and weaknesses. They know that they put their pants on one leg at a time just like the rest of us. Very hard to impress a person who's living with you all the time because they see every part of you. It's why with famous people... um, Family relationships are so hard because everyone else kind of worships them, but but the person who's your husband or wife or your sibling or your children, they, they see the other side to you, which makes it more impressive that these disciples who were with Jesus 24-7, who were with him as he went round ministering, as he spoke to people privately as well as publicly, as, he, as they saw him do his ministry, as they walked and ministered and ate and drank and slept next to him all the time, they were totally convinced that he was the real deal. Jesus wasn't, hypocr- he wasn't a hypocrite in any way. He didn't appear one way in front of the crowds and a different way in front of, behind closed doors. He, couldn't turn, he didn't turn it on and off. He could do miracles sometimes, but, no, but no, this, is, this is the real deal, and they knew that. They believed that he was the promised Christ, the promised Messiah that everything was waiting for, which is why when you read through the Gospels, it makes sense that the disciples crumble when Jesus gets arrested, why they fall apart when he dies. There's such a mess It's important to to, to get this. The disciples were a tight group, but from the moment that Jesus got arrested by the Roman authorities, they're a basket case in the Gospels. Peter, I guess, is the kind of face of that. Peter, who in many ways we might call the alpha male or the uh, the leader, or he's certainly the, the loudest of the disciples. Even he falls asleep when Jesus wants him to stay awake, denies Jesus three times rather than says, I I know him. Two of those denials were to to young girls. It's not like he was in front of soldiers fearing for his life when he denied Jesus. He was in front of two young girls. But you can understand why. Because all their thoughts and expectations, all that they thought was true about Jesus now seemed to not be true. Then Jesus dies. And it's not just his death, it's the way he dies and the incidents surrounding his death. 
and it has a huge, profound effect on the disciples. This group that for three years had kind of brashly gone around the country and they didn't care who they came across or what happened because they had Jesus with them and they knew who Jesus was. They're now meeting behind locked doors. They're in secrecy, fearing that they too might be arrested. They're they're, They're hugely worried that they're going to be endangered and their lives endangered. And we understand that, don't we? It makes sense. They had been following in their mind the man. They'd been on the inner circle of the person they genuinely believed to be God's chosen one, a guy who could do the miraculous, a a guy who talked with the power and authority of God himself. They had been with the Christ. But then they'd seen these soldiers arrest him. Then they'd seen him humiliated. They'd seen him publicly mocked and spat upon. They'd seen him unable to carry the cross himself to go to the place where he would die. They'd seen him die on the cross, possibly naked, certainly humiliated, as a signpost that actually Rome is in power and don't you dare do anything against Rome. Not only that, the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy said that anyone who hung on a tree, i.e. anyone who died... Uh, with wood, was cursed by God. They had now seen Jesus go through all these things. And so now what are they left with? But we thought he was the Christ. And the one factor that the Christ has is that he's going to rule God's people forever and death kind of rules you out of that. Put yourself in the position of the disciples. How awful. They've spent three years of their life following this guy. They've given up everything, so many aspects of their life, to invest in him because they were confident in who he was and what he was doing. Not only do they have to recover from seeing their trusted leader disgraced and humiliated and shamed and shown to be not the person they were convinced he was, that they would have had their own personal feelings of being let down and confusion. I got it so wrong. What, what, what do I make of what I'd seen and experienced? No wonder they were distraught. No wonder they fled from Jesus when he was arrested. No wonder they denied him and met behind locked doors. No wonder they were fearful for their lives. I'm surprised they met at all. All of that makes perfect sense. I'll tell you what doesn't make sense. What happened next? What happened next does not make sense. Because something changed those confused, scared, betrayed 11 men into a group of lions who burst outside their locked doors and they literally changed the course of world history. Something changed these people that were confused and worried and distraught into a group of people who went out into the world and convinced other people that Jesus had risen and that they needed to to trust him and live for him. They left their secret hidden meetings and they went out, not in fear anymore, not quietly, but shouting to the rooftops that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is risen and you must put your faith and trust in him, that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and you've got to live for him. And they didn't just do this for a few days like you might if you were trying to save face because you'd got something wrong and you're just trying to ease it out. It wasn't that they put on some kind of poker face where you could tell that really behind it they knew it was false. These people for every day for the rest of their lives gave everything to convince people that Jesus had risen and and was Lord. They didn't just um, 
They didn't just talk the talk either, they walked the walk because most of the disciples we know died for it. They died because they would not stop telling people this. They would not stop trying to convert people to this. They would not stop telling people, this is the news you need to hear and this is the news you need to live in the light of. What had happened? What explains that? It doesn't make sense. The only thing that explains it is a game changer. The resurrection had happened. The only thing that explains this kind of complete 180 that the disciples went to were that they had seen with their own eyes. They had touched with their own hands. They had met with and eaten alongside and been with a physically risen Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that explains it. The only thing which provides an answer for the radical change that the resurrection brought to those people. They knew the game changer had happened and it all changed for them. They'd already been convinced of the greatness of Jesus before, but now they'd seen him conquer death. Now they'd seen him that death, not even death, had the power to hold him down. Now they could be sure this is the guy. They'd been right all along. This was their saviour, the king, the one the world needed, and they dedicated their lives to telling the world about him. Do you see what I mean when I say that the resurrection, far from being unlikely or improbable, I think it's the only thing that makes sense of what happened. It's the only thing that could have so changed the, the, the feelings and the heart and the direction of the disciples at that point. Because those disciples went out and convinced the world that, that Jesus was risen. You and I are only here today at one level because those 11 people went out of their locked doors and screamed to the world and would not stop telling people, he is risen. Only the resurrection could do that. That's why Peter, who on the Thursday night couldn't look a young girl in the eye and admit that he knew Jesus, only a few days later walked into central Jerusalem and screamed from the rooftops, he is risen, you've got to believe in him, and he didn't care what consequences he met as a result. And so, as I draw to a close, I want to ask you, what will you do in the light of this game-changing event? How does it affect your life? This incident where everything's changed, it's a different game now, it used to be checkers, now it's chess. The resurrection is a game changer. What difference does it make to your life now, moving forward, if Jesus rose? There may be a few of you here this morning who Jesus is not the centre of your life because you haven't really accepted that he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, why would you put anything else more important than him in your life? You need to put him number one in your life. And if you don't know what that means, you don't know how to do that, come and see me afterwards. We can chat about it. It may be that you're going, well, I'm still not convinced that he rose. I'd like to do a bit more investigation. Great. I'll set you up with Christianity Explored. It's a course we put on where you can ask any questions you like about Christianity and we'll look into it together. Or it may be that I'll set you aside with another one of our staff members to chat things through. But if the resurrection is true, and it is, don't ignore it. It's got to change your life. But if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, I rejoice. I hope you rejoice. Is he number one in your life? And is that clear? If we'd seen the lives of these disciples, we would have been under no doubt what was number one in their life, what they lived for. It was Jesus Christ, their risen saviour. Do people know that of us when they see us? I was thinking of this, that um, 
uh, if it was illegal in New Zealand to be a Christian. That kind of sounds silly to our ears, doesn't it? But there's many places in the world where it's dangerous to be a Christian. Ian was reminding me this morning, it was only a couple of years ago in Sri Lanka, at Easter, remember, the bombs went off. Very dangerous to be a Christian in certain parts of the world. I worry that with freedom of speech things at the moment, it may get to a point where it's, it's hard to be a Christian. If it was illegal in New Zealand to be a Christian, could you be found guilty if you were being investigated? It's an interesting way to see whether our lives revolve around Jesus, isn't it? If, you, um, if we were being investigated, would it be obvious? Uh, it's a challenging question. Would the only evidence to make us look guilty was that we've got a Bible and a few kind of Christian books unopened on a dusty shelf in our room? Or we kind of spend an hour and a half with other Christians once a week, but it's not really visible any other time of the week? Or would it be clear that we were guilty because of the amount of conversations we have about Jesus? because of the number of people that we invite to church or talk to about Jesus, because it's just an everyday part of our lives. Friends, Jesus rose. It's the game changer. And because it's true, we must be living for him. I pray that um, uh, you will see the wonder and joy of uh, the fact that Jesus rose this Easter. Death is a hard reality to speak of in this life, because for some people it's so distant they don't really feel the weight of it. For some people it's so close, they really feel the weight of it. Death was conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful truth we remember today. If that's true, and it is, I pray that you and I will live in the light of it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that he is risen. We thank you for the change it made in the disciples' lives. I pray that it would make such a difference in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to just stay seated as you are now, and we're going to have uh, the musicians.